0: Just had the opportunity recently to go uh, and travel with the family, and we had a couple good weeks away, and one of the things that we did was um, an escape room. How many of you have ever done an escape room? All right. Uh, Some of you all have. If the rest of you haven't, I would encourage you to do it. Um, Unless you're claustrophobic, then probably it wouldn't be a good idea. Um, But I would encourage you to do it. It's a lot of fun. We had a blast doing it. The whole point of the escape room is that you get locked into this room and in the room there are clues, there are different things that have to happen in order for you to get out or to escape. Hence the reason it's called a, an escape room. Um, and, uh, and so w- my family, uh, they, they split us into two. We had all the girls went in one room, all the guys in another room, and uh, it was a two-hour long thing. And uh, they said there was going to be a little screen that was going to give us some instruction, and then we were on our own. And uh, we get into this room. It's, it's pretty dark. It's dungy. Um, and we can sort of hear the girls on the other side of the wall. And, uh, and then all of a sudden this TV uh, pops on and tells us a little bit of background story, and we get a, a little bit of instruction. But then we're like, told, okay, you're on your own. Go for it. And so, we're trying to navigate this this escape room by, there's clues, there's different things you have to, combinations you have to put together, things you have to find, and it unlatches certain things and allows you to move on until you get to the point where you are uh, able to either escape the room or you don't within a certain amount of time. Well, we did several of the things that we needed to do, and we were on our way but there was a moment where, several of these actually, where, where we got stuck. And we just weren't sure what was the next step, what was the next thing. L- little did we know that on the wall, there was this flashing thing that we didn't pay much attention to. But we noticed above it, it said, hint. And we were like, I wonder what happens when you push the button. So we pushed the button. And then this all seeing sounding voice comes over the speakers and we're like, you know, and, and kind of freaking out a little bit. And they can and it was obvious they had cameras in there that they could see us and we couldn't see them. But they started giving us some different instructions on on, hey, did you do this? Hey, did you try that? Did you and thank God for the hint button? Because without it, I honestly believe we probably would still be stuck there today. Um, cause it was, it was down to the last five minutes and, uh, in that last five minutes we start, you know, kind of panicking, um, which is kind of crazy, right? Cause you know, they're going to let you out. At least we think that they, we, they're going to. And, uh, I mean, we did pay pretty good money for it, so who knows? Um, so we thank God for that hint button because without it, there was no way we were getting out of there. You know, I, when I was thinking about this message today and thinking about just life in general, life's a lot like an escape room. I mean, we, we try to navigate our lives. We try to do things and follow the clues and sort of do our own thing. But, but can you imagine going through life and not even realizing, not even knowing that there's a hint button that's always available, that's always there, that's always willing to give us direction, but still try to navigate life without even ever acknowledging or even listening to that hint button. I can't imagine that. And yet that's what the vast majority of, Of people on this planet do every single day is they try to navigate through life without that hint button. What is that hint button? That hint button for you and I is God. It's the Word of God. It's the voice of God. It's the Holy Spirit that resides in us because of relationship with Jesus, and yet even we, as followers of Jesus, so often try to navigate life apart from the hint button. At least I know I did, and I still do. There's times where, where I'm in a place where I'm stuck or I'm in something that I just can't figure out, and instead of turning to the hint button, I turn to myself. Think about it. There's there's literally billions of people on this planet who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? That's hard for us in this society to imagine that because we have churches on every corner. We have Bibles all over the place. We can get online and see things. We can watch TV and there's people on there talking about jesus but can you imagine there's billions of people on this planet that have never even heard the name of jesus they have no idea that that hint button even exists and they're trying to navigate life without him i don't know about y'all but but life even with christ is really tough Does anybody else have a difficult time in life sometimes? Or is it just me? It's really tough. Aaron even talked about that a couple weeks ago, about some of the difficulty that that we as people go through. And, And that's not just those who don't know Jesus. That's those who know Jesus. And, and, then, and then we talked about, uh, about, he talked about last week about what you value and what you value makes an impact on others around us. And, and isn't, it, isn't it that Jesus should be the one thing that we value the most in life? Isn't it that a relationship with Jesus Christ, the the ultimate hint button of our life, shouldn't he be the one that we ultimately value the most? Why? Because he's the only one that can transform our life. He's the only one that that can satisfy our hungry soul. He, He is the only one who can guarantee our eternal home. And yet we treat Jesus like he's a trinket or some other little thing that's on the side that we pull out once a week and we play church for an hour a week. And then we expect somehow that life's just going to be good and rosy and everything's going to work out okay. Doesn't work that way. Jesus has never even promised that if you follow him, you're going to have an easy life. Actually, it's the opposite. He says, if you follow him, you will have hardship. You will have difficulty. In this life, you will have all those things, but take heart, take courage. I am with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am always there for you. I am always ready and willing to give you a hint to help you navigate this life. And yet, there are people... All around us, at our workplaces, at school, at places where we hang out and, and just, I don't know, maybe work out or whatever, our, our families, even our neighbors, don't have a clue who Jesus really is. And how can they? Paul writes this in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. He asks some really interesting questions. He says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And then he asks this question, and how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And then he asks another question, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? He doesn't stop. He says, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why scripture says how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, that's what what Aaron was talking about last week and and what's what's the thing that you value most because whatever that is is going to impact those around you. And do we value Jesus so much that we're willing to share him with others around us because he's the only hope for their life? He's the only hope for their future. He's the only hope for the things that they're going through in this life. And it's really what being the church every day, everywhere means is that you and I go and tell others about Jesus. And we let others see Jesus in us. Are we perfect? No. No, but we know someone who is, and that's Jesus, and we can point them to him and let them know that he's the answer that they need. I want you, if you would, to turn 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and as he's writing to the church in Corinth, there's some things that he wants them, number one, to be remembering about what they know and then be remembering about what they're supposed to do. And my prayer is, is that as you think about being the church every day, everywhere, as you think about being an example of Jesus, valuing Jesus above all else, that, that you would remember these things about who you are and that they would spur you on to being an individual who tells others about jesus second corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 notice the phrase very first three words for we know i want to stop there for just a second who's the we the we are those of us who say and know and believe that jesus christ is lord We have a relationship with Jesus. And because we have a relationship with Jesus, for we know. And the things that we're about to read are things that you and I as followers of Jesus should know about who we are in Christ. About what we have in Christ. Now, what we need to understand though is is that it's for we know. not. It doesn't say for everyone knows. We know. So that means that there is a group of people who do not know this, do not understand this, do not have any idea about the hint button on the side of the wall. They don't know about it. We know about it. And there's something that we should do about it. So listen to this. For we know that if this tent this earthly home, in other words, your body, is destroyed. In other words, you die. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Praise God that we have an eternal home, not made by hands, but made by God. Are you not not thankful for that? Amen, we have that. Because, look what it says, for in this tent, We groan. Does anybody in here feel that every day? Are any of y'all getting older? Do y'all have pains and things that are creeping up in you that you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. In this body, you groan and you moan and you ache, longing to put on a heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, in other words, that we may be found having a relationship with Jesus while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we'd be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That this struggle, this temporary struggle that we're going through here in this life might be swallowed up in knowing and having life in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us given us, and this is another thing we should know, we should know that he has given us the Spirit of God as a guarantee. Do you know that you have the Spirit of God living in you? If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. He doesn't stop. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Really? Always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, look what it says. We make it our aim to please Him. Who's Him? Jesus We make it the aim of our life, the goal of our life, the value, the greatest value of our life is to please Jesus Christ in our body, in our life, through our life. So how do we do that? He goes on, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, what do we know? We know that there is a day coming where all of our deeds will be laid out before the throne of God. You will be held in judgment one way or another. Every single one of us. But verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We do what? We persuade others. We use words that are confident and convincing that come from The soul, come from our heart, come from the reality of what's happened in our lives, and we share with them the reality of what Jesus has done, not to proclaim us, not to lift ourselves up, but to lift up Jesus. So he goes on, he says, "...but what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again." But giving you cause to boast about us, we're not doing that, so that we may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Why? Because God's concern is your out, is your heart, not necessarily your outward appearance. That is not number one to God. Your heart is number one to God. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Listen to this. Here's the heart. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, for those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what we know. This is what we know as followers of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is he talking about? He's not talking about turning over a new leaf. He's not talking about somehow getting your act together. He's not talking about behavior modification. What he's talking about is that your soul has been completely transformed from death to life, from darkness to light. God transforms your soul and makes you a brand new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Where is all this from? All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which is what? Therefore, we as ambassadors of Christ Making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. All of these things are all things that we should know. We should know. Verse 1-4 through talks about the reality that the best is yet to come. This is not the end, y'all. This life is not all there is. There is a better, there is a best yet to come. And that best yet to come is eternal life with God through Jesus Christ in heaven and in his presence for all of eternity. This, this life is just a drop in the bucket. This life is just a vapor, the Bible tells us. There is an eternity that every single one of us face. The best is yet to come. Number two, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. So what should that cause us to do? That should cause us, number three, to live to please him. Verse nine, live to please him. And as a result of living to please him, we can't help but talk about this one whom we're pleasing. That's where in verse 12 and 11, he talks about persuading others. Persuading others to what? To live for Jesus. Persuading others to put their faith and trust in Christ. Again, it's not about ourselves. It's all about Jesus. The beauty is, is that you and I, as we come to know Christ, he transforms our life. Transforms our life. We want others to know that. We want others to see that. We want others to hear about that. How can they know? How can they believe? Unless they hear. And how can they hear unless someone tells them? You're that someone. You and I are called to notice what it says in verse 19. We're called to a ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation. Like, sorry, that's verse 18. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, and I I don't know. I don't know why we do this, but I, I think it's because you and I we struggle, we struggle with our flesh. Anybody else? I know I struggle with my flesh. Have you all noticed all the construction happening around here? I just got back, and they did this whole thing on 1st on, uh, Avenue going across the bridge, where they slam it down into one, one, uh, one lane. I, I don't know if people just don't know how to read or, or what is happening, but um, I'm in the left lane, and I'm coming around the corner, and this dude just flies around me, Barely misses the barrels and gets in front of me go, just to go underneath the overhang to save himself two seconds. And I'm like, I, in my flesh, do, do you know what I wanted to do? I can't tell you it's not church appropriate. Um, so so I don't know about you, but but I know I still struggle with my flesh. Does anybody else here struggle with their flesh? Yeah. And it's not just those people that are driving like crazy. It's my family, my friends, my, my everybody. Why, why do we do that? With people that we love the most, we still consider them from the flesh. And he says, we consider, we regard no one according to the flesh. What, what does that mean, according to the flesh? That means according to what your natural desire is. We regard no one in that way. And yet, and yet you and I as followers of Jesus and the church in America in particular is, is holding up a standard for those who do not know. They do not have the Holy Spirit of God. They do not know Jesus Christ. We're holding them to a standard that you and I as followers of Jesus struggle with ourselves. And yet we expect them, who don't even have the Holy Spirit of God, who don't even know Jesus Christ, we expect them to live in a certain way and act in a certain way. And if they don't, then something's wrong with them. And we treat them differently because they're trying to navigate this life without the hint button. And they're trying to navigate this life, and the only thing they can do is fill their life with stuff that they can see and that they can experience and that they can touch and that they can know. And yet we we want to treat them with disdain. We want to treat them with, with anger and frustration and, and with irritation and, and with all of these things that are not of the Spirit of God. I, I, love, I love what Paul David Tripp writes. He writes this about... About this passage, that we have two responses in relationship to those who we regard. And that is, we regard them with cursing or with mourning. M O U R N, mourning. And here's what he means by that there are two responses to the brokenness that complicates all of our lives. Let's be honest, cursing is the more natural response. We curse the fact fact that we have to deal with flawed people. We curse the fact that we have to deal with things that don't work right. We curse the fact that we have to deal with pollution and disease and all kinds of other things. We, We curse the fact that promises get broken, relationships shatter, dreams die. We curse the realities of pain and suffering. We curse the fact that this broken down world has been assigned to the address where we live. makes us irritated, impatient, bitter, angry, and discontent. Can I I ask you a question? Have you this past week felt any of those? Let me read them again. Irritated, impatient, bitter, angry, discontent. Yo, PJ, you just described my morning. (laughs) Ah, uh, sorry. <laughs> I, you need to understand, not a single one of those things is from the Holy Spirit of God. Not one. None of those are the fruit of the Spirit. Those are all fruit of our flesh. Paul David Tripp, he continues to write. He says this. It's natural to find them frustrating. The whole world groans as it waits for redemption, but cursing is the wrong response. We curse what we have to deal with because, listen to this, it makes our lives harder than we want them to be. If we're honest with ourselves, cursing is all about our comfort, our pleasure, our ease. Cursing is fundamentally self-centered. Mourning is the much better response. Mourning embraces the tragedy of the fall. Mourning acknowledges that the world is not the way God meant it to be. Mourning cries out for God's redeeming, restoring hand. Mourning acknowledges the suffering of others. Mourning is about something bigger than the fact that life is hard. Mourning grieves what sin has done to the cosmos and longs for the Redeemer to come and make his broken world new again. Mourning then is a response that is prompted by grace. This side of eternity in this broken world, cursing is the default language of the kingdom of self, but mourning is the default language of the kingdom of God. He asks the question, which language will you speak today? Paul says, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, making an appeal as if it's God making it through us. And here it is. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you know what's interesting? In Romans, it says, check this out. It says, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Wow. The kindness of God leads to repentance. Change of mind is what repentance means. Change of heart. The kindness of God. You know, that's why why Jesus, that's why Jesus could sit down with a group of people who the Pharisees would look at and go, why is he sitting down with those people? Why is he, sit- why is he sitting down? Does he not know who they are? Does he not know what, what they've done with their lives? That's why Jesus, when when a woman is brought before him that has been in the act of adultery and they lay her out before him and and they're about to stone this woman and and they say, Jesus says to to them, hey, you, uh, without sin, you cast the first stone. And he stands up for her. So isn't it interesting that That Jesus could do that, that the kindness of God leads to repentance, that the, the message of us as ambassadors for Christ is be reconciled to God. Know that there's one who loves you so much that he was willing to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That God takes someone who's an old creation and makes them new. We have got to figure out as the church and being the church every day, everywhere, that God's desire for us is not to curse the world. We will never win the world by cursing the world. That'll never happen. Jesus himself even said, I have come to save the world, not to condemn the world. So you and I have a choice to make. What will we be? Will we be ambassadors for Christ? Will we be mourning those that are around us that are choosing to not know Jesus, choosing to live life apart from Him? They don't even realize it. Maybe they, maybe they do, and they just are ignoring it. Whatever. Does our heart mourn for them? Does our heart break for them? Does our heart break for this world in which we live? If it does, and Paul is clear, where to go, and where to be ambassadors to this world that desperately needs to know Jesus, I'm going to ask if you would just close your eyes by your head. Just a little bit. Worship team is going to come and lead in a song. Those of you that are, are going to be baptized, you go ahead and come on. And. Uh, As your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed. And again, those of you that are getting baptized, go ahead and you can come on down. And those that are going to be, there's going to be some people standing up here in front. There's going to be some people standing in the back, and uh, they're here to pray with you. They care about you. They don't care what is the thing that's going on. It's that's not that's not what they're up here for. Is to try to find out what's going on in your life. What they want to do is just pray for you. So you don't even have to say anything. You don't have to say, here's why I'm up here. You can just say, could you just pray for me? Maybe you're feeling a nudge by the Holy Spirit, and as the church, if you're feeling that nudge, and there's somebody next to you, and God's saying, pray for that person, just turn over to them and just say, hey, can I pray for you? If they say no, then just quietly in your mind pray. Pray. There's people here at the front, people at the back, and again, I want to encourage you, be the church. Decide what it is that you're going to do. Am I going to be someone who's an ambassador for Jesus in this world in which I live so that others can know this Jesus that's transformed my life? He loves you, cares deeply for you, and he longs to use you in a powerful and real way. Gosh, what would happen if every one of us, like that 10-year-old little girl this past week, heard God say to them, I want you to be a missionary. Here's the reality. God is saying that. (laughs) Go and make disciples.